0: Uh, Today we are continuing our series called Evidence of Grace. Evidence of Grace. And the idea behind this series is that the grace of God is such a powerful force that if a person encounters it, uh, there should be evidence. There should be signs of change, signs of life, signs of love. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning, when we least deserved it, Jesus came into the world. He lived a perfect life. He died a criminal's death, all for our redemption. The cross of Christ is the hinge upon which all of eternity swings. And for that reason, our lives should forever be marked by it. Like, until the crucifixion, the world had never known love like that, sacrifice like that, grace like that. And now the only proof that we have that we are believers, like the only proof that all of us have that we are Christians is that the same grace that Jesus gave us should now flow through us. I mean, you can think about it like this, our natural bodies were made by God. To take in food and to convert it to energy. In the same way, I think our spiritual bodies were made by God to take in grace and to convert it to goodness. It enters as grace, it exits as gratitude. It enters as grace, it exits as generosity. It enters as grace, it exits as forgiveness. This is what Mark and I have been talking about for the last two months as we've been in this series, is that the grace of God that is given to us manifests itself in us in many different ways. It enters as grace, it exits as compassion. It enters as grace, it exits as worship, and it's in the exits that the world sees the evidence. Grace transforms and it reforms. We eat food, it becomes energy. We take in grace, it becomes goodness. Now what I want to talk to you about today is how I think a person who has experienced grace should relate to other people in relationship. I want to talk about how, if you've experienced grace, how it should shape the way that you treat your friends, uh, your, your spouse, and ultimately, how maybe it should change the way that you think about the church. And here's the premise. I want to keep it really simple. Here it is: I believe that those who have experienced God's grace should be patient with one another in community. Does that make sense? I believe that if you are a person who has experienced the grace of God, You should be patient with one another in community. I don't know if y'all realize this or not, okay, but everybody is a little bit crazy. Like, everybody is a little bit off, a little bit crazy. And I don't say that from a place of judgment. I'm really just trying to state facts. I mean, have you ever met somebody or maybe their family and in your mind you thought, okay, here, okay, I finally met a normal person. Like, wow, this is crazy. I've met somebody who is normal. And then you spend a little bit of time with them, and you find out that they put ice in their milk, or they collect uh, Pokemon cards, or they don't like cheese, and you're like, oh, no, they're okay. Now, now that I've gotten in a little bit, I see they're, they're crazy, too. Everybody is a little bit crazy. Um, some people are just a bit better about hiding. They're, they're crazy. You know, they're... Uh, oddities i've always loved this quote it comes from sir arthur conan doyle and it it comes from his uh, sherlock series this is what he said he says life is infinitely stranger than anything which the mind of man could invent we would not dare to conceive the things which are really more mere commonplaces of existence if we could fly out of that window hand in hand hover over this great city gently remove the roofs and peep in At the odd things which are going on, the strange coincidences, the plannings, the cross purposes, the wonderful chains of events, working through generations and leading to the most outrageous results, it would make all fiction with its conventionalities and foreseen conclusions most stale and unprofitable. This is all that he's saying there. He's saying, man, if the pieces of us that we already show each other, if we already can tell that people are a little bit crazy... He's like, imagine if we could fly out the window and if we could pull the roofs off of people's houses and we could peer into each other in our private lives. He's like, then you would really know how weird we are. He's like, then you would really see just how crazy people are. People are odd and I may be the oddest, you know, I mean, people are weird. I may be the weirdest. And here's the thing. If you are looking for a reason not to like somebody. Like, if you're looking for a reason not to befriend somebody, or if you're looking for a reason to turn your back on somebody, it won't be hard to find. We, we've all got them. I mean, we, we've all got issues. We've all got struggles. You go, I don't like that guy. I don't like him. He is, he's too stubborn. I don't like her. She's too self-centered. I've never liked him, he's too loud. I don't like her, she's too quiet. Everybody's got a reason. Everybody's got a thing. If you're looking for, I mean, I told the early service, I'm like, if you're looking for a reason not to like me, it won't be hard to find. And honestly, if you talk to me for five minutes, I'll tell you what it is. I'll be like, these are the reasons. I don't even like myself. These are things I don't like about me. Like, we've all got those things. Everybody's odd. I may be the oddest. The Apostle Paul said it this way. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 7 through 9. Somebody say amen when you get there. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. Somebody got it? All right, here we go. Paul wrote these words. He said, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations I had received, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here, at church, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he very vulnerably says to the church, he goes, listen, I've got problems. He's like, I, I've got an issue I've got a struggle, and for whatever reason, I can't overcome it. He goes, I, I've tried. He's like, but, but for some reason, it continues. As much as I've tried to beat it, it continues uh, to get the best of me. And he goes, not only that, but on three different occasions, he's like, I went to God, and I begged God to take it from me, um, but, but he wouldn't. And not only did he he not take it away from me, but he told me that my weakness, my struggles, he he was going to use those as a way to display his power in the world. Now, we have no idea what the thorn in Paul's flesh was. I actually think that uh, the the Bible here is intentionally ambiguous, like we're not supposed to know. But certainly um, people over the years have still speculated. Um, Some people think that maybe Paul suffered from some sort of physical disability, like uh, maybe he had a speech impediment or he was going blind. And the book of Galatians kind of alludes to that. Some people think that maybe he had some sort of reoccurring illness, like something like malaria or migraines, something that when he would be out on the road doing ministry, doing his work, he would end up having to stay in bed for days at a time, something that he saw as a significant hindrance to his work. Then a lot of people think that when Paul speaks about the thorn in his flesh that he might be just talking about people, like people who opposed his ministry, people who opposed his work, because Paul oftentimes spoke about people like that. At one place he talks about a guy named Alexander the coppersmith, and he said, Alexander the coppersmith did me a great deal of harm. And when Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh, he describes it as a messenger sent from Satan to harass him. That's the way I'm going to start describing everybody who don't like me. If somebody doesn't like me, I'll be like that. He's a messenger sent from Satan to torment me. And while we don't know exactly what Paul's thorn was, what we do know is, multiple times, he asked God to take it away. And multiple times, God said no. Now, oftentimes, when these verses are preached, I think they're preached to Uh, the individual. The text is often used as a reminder that God's in control and that we're not and that sometimes God says no even to the people he loves. Like we go, God, please heal this sickness. And he goes, no, but I will use it to sanctify you. We go, God, please get me out of this dead-end job. And he goes, no, but I will use it to teach you how to rely on me. We go, God, please take this weakness, this issue, this struggle away. And he goes, no, but my power will be made perfect in it. I think for the individual, this text is a reminder that our struggles are not always a sign of a weak will or a weak faith. Church, I don't understand it, but sometimes God chooses to leave the thorn. Sometimes He chooses to remove the pain, and sometimes he chooses to use the pain. And our job is simply to to pray and to trust. Today, I don't want to talk to you about what I think the text means um, so much for the individual, but I want to talk to you about what this concept might mean for uh, the sake of Christian community. And this is the big reveal, okay? This is the bold truth. This is today's takeaway. This is why I get paid the big bucks, Travis. Are y'all ready for this one? All right, here it is. If Paul had a thorn, other people are probably going to have thorns too. Explosion emoji right back. If Paul had a thorn, other people are probably going to have thorns too. And this is all I mean by that. Like Paul, other people, our Christian brothers and sisters, are likely going to have problems or issues or struggles that they cannot overcome. And it's possible that even when it comes to these struggles and issues and problems, that they've prayed to God many times that God would take them away, and he chose not to. And if that's the case... If we all might be carrying our own version of Paul's thorn, then it means just by the nature of being in Christian community with one another, sometimes we're gonna get pricked. Sometimes community is gonna hurt. Sometimes my broken pieces are going to pierce you and sometimes your broken pieces are going to pierce me, but we have to learn to be patient with one another because the grace that binds us is stronger than the thorns that pierce us. Did you hear me? I wish I could take notes on myself. (laughs) The grace that binds us should be stronger than the thorns that pierce us. Do y'all believe that? And if you do believe it, then why are we so easy to turn our backs on each other? Why are we so easy to walk out? on each other. Bonhoeffer said it this way in his book, Life Together. I love this quote. It's short and simple. He said, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it be a brief single encounter or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus. Church, You are an imperfect person called to be united with other imperfect people by the grace of a perfect God. And for us to be able to complete the collective tasks that God has given us, for us to be able to complete the work that he's he's given us, we're gonna have to learn to work together, thorns and all. The Church of Christ should be strong enough to endure different opinions. The church of Christ should be strong enough to endure petty offenses. The church of Christ should be strong enough to endure the occasional wounds caused by other people's misgivings. What I'm trying to say to you this morning, church, is this, if the Savior that we follow was willing to wear a crown of thorns on his head, then we should be able to endure the occasional cut. If he is willing to take the crown of thorns pierced in his skull, we should be able to deal with the occasional scratch. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, a lot of people, I think, when it comes to, like, their relationships, when it comes to uh, friendships, and when it comes to the way that they relate to the church, uh, a lot of people, I feel like, live in the land of Ideals. And what I mean by that is that a lot of people have in their minds, like, this is what a perfect marriage should look like. This is what a perfect friendship should look like. This is what a perfect church should look like. And so these people are running after an ideal that doesn't exist. I mean, we all know, other than Jesus, no such thing as a perfect person. Certainly no such thing as a a perfect church. Oftentimes, I think God uses our thorns to pierce our pride, to deflate our egos, and ultimately to put to death our ideals. Because in 20-some-odd years of doing this, what I have found is that true community is most often found on the other side of laid-down expectations. I mean, if you have it in your mind that something has to be perfect, that this is what it looks like when it's, when it's perfect, you're never going to appreciate the good. If you're constantly in pursuit of perfection, you're never going to appreciate the good. I mean, here, here's the truth, church. I don't have a, a perfect marriage, but I got a good marriage. I don't have perfect friends, but I've got good friends. I don't pastor a perfect church, but I pastor a good Church, and I'm and I'm proud of it, And, and, and I'm grateful for those things. If you constantly live in the land of ideals, then it's my fear you're going to get to the place where you have rendered yourself ineffective and deeply lonely, because nobody's ever going to be good enough for you, and no place is ever going to be good enough for you. No such thing as a perfect church, no such thing as a perfect person, except for Jesus. Now, let me tell you why I think all this matters. Okay, let's try to put some of these pieces together. Why I think it's necessary that we figure out how to work through each other's thorns alongside other people who, like us, have issues. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We were in 2 Corinthians 12, now to 1 Corinthians 12. This is still the Apostle Paul writing. Paul wrote these words. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And then the verse I definitely want you to hear, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Do you hear what the Apostle Paul is saying there? He, he's telling us that the role of the church is to be a representative of, of Jesus' body in the world. Like when people look at Flatstone, what they should see is Jesus. But here's the thing. uh, We can't do it alone. Like the reality of a passage like this is even if we don't like each other, we need each other. Even if you don't like me, I need you. Even if you don't like me, you need me because, you know, we can't. Some of you are the hand, some of you are the foot, some of you are the eyes, some of the ears. We can't present the full body of Christ to the world unless we're all in it together. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everybody with a role to play. You're the body of Christ individually members of it at the church that i served before i moved here uh, the first pastor that i worked with there he was a guy named blake hayes and and i loved blake to the point that our son langston his middle name is langston hayes we named him after him but uh blake just a couple of years into my time there blake uh developed als lou gehrig's disease um any of y'all ever known anybody who had lou gehrig's it's awful okay it's awful. I mean, like, um, it seemed like every day or at least every week he lost another function. You know, he, uh, he got to the point to where um, he, his, his mind still worked, his eyes still worked like he could see and he could hear, but his arm it couldn't move, his arms couldn't move his legs. And then like in his last days, he struggled. It was, it was physically an issue for him to blink to be able to to close his eyes. Now people oftentimes uh, at least medically when they talk about somebody who's in that state they refer to it as they're locked in. Like they've been locked into their body. You know, they're it's like they're trapped in their own body because they know what's going on, but their body will not respond to the natural world around them like even if they want to respond they can't. I sometimes wonder church if this is the way It is for Jesus when the body of Christ isn't doing what the body's supposed to do. Like I sometimes wonder if it's like Jesus is just, we've locked him in. And his mind's still good and he still knows what needs to be done and he can still hear issues and he still sees problems, but he's telling the hand to go serve, but the hand won't move to serve and he's telling the foot to go do mission, but the foot won't do mission because we're not doing our job. Because we've surrendered so much to petty offenses and struggles that we have with other people that we're like, no, I can't do that anymore. I can't deal with that issue anymore. I can't deal with that problem anymore. Some point, we're going to have to lay it down, understand that other people are crazy just like us, other people have struggles just like us, and then we get to work. We have to lay down our expectations. We've got to trade our expectations, our ideas and ideals for God's reality. If Paul had a thorn, other people are probably going to have thorns too. Our collective call, it's worth the cost. And the mission that we're all on is more imp- more important than other people's misgivings. We've got to learn to be patient with one another. Because the grace that binds us is stronger than the thorns that pierce us. Pray with me. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for some folks that today would be a day when they'd lay some stuff down, whether it be uh, something that they see as a, as a petty offense or whether it just be lofty ideals that have prevented them from trying and experiencing the power of true, uh, gritty, real community. God, my primary prayer as one of the pastors of this place is I want our church to be a reflection of your son in the world like when people look at our church i want them to see you and i know that we can't do that i know i can't do that on my own and i know mark can't do that on his own i pray that you would inspire the people in the room to get to work to do what they're supposed to do that the hands would be the hands and the feet would be the feet and the neck would be the neck and the ears would be the ears let us all play the role that you've called us to we love you it's in jesus name we pray Amen.